I want you to look with me in the book of Matthew, and we're going to go to the sixth chapter for a few moments tonight. Matthew chapter six. Good to have visitors with us. There are preachers visiting, uh, pastors, and then over here, two young men from my go to church with my daughter Rachel and her husband up in uh, Pax Branch Baptist Church in West Virginia. Brother Kevin, Brother Andy are here, and they're students at Crown College, and I appreciate them coming in the middle of exam week. Amen. So they came. I guess they needed a break maybe from school. So they came tonight to worship with us. I appreciate them coming. And uh, they're, they're, both these young men are a blessing. And there's a third one, Isaac, that, from the church that uh, comes and is going to school there. He couldn't be here tonight. These young fellows are a blessing to me, and I appreciate them. And I believe the Lord is using them and is going to use them in a great way. And I thank the Lord for them. We're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount for a few moments tonight. And I want to deal with a few verses here. We're going to start in verse 19. We won't deal with all of these verses, but I want to read them all. We'll start in verse 19 of chapter 6, the book of Matthew, and go down through verse 34. And here's what it says. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is... There will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now let me stop and say this. This is a whole other sermon in itself, and I won't preach it. But he tells us about laying up our treasures. And he's really, he's talking about financial treasures, but he's also, I believe, talking about our lives. Where are we depositing our lives? And he said if we deposit our lives in the earth, then we've got to worry about moths. We've got to worry about rust. We've got to worry about thieves. And uh, I put it this way. We have to worry about ruin. We have to worry about rust. And we have to worry about robbers if... We, if we put our treasures in this world. But if we lay up treasures in heaven, none of those things can bother the treasures. If we invest our lives in heaven, nothing on earth can touch it and change it. Then he said, the light of the body is the eye. And if therefore that eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. Now notice the next verse, but if thine eye be evil. Now notice he didn't say single and double. He said single and evil. He said if your eye's not single, if you not got one thing you got that you're focused in on, he says it's going to turn out to be evil. So he's talking about depositing my life in heavenly things, and that should be the focus of my life. And if it's not the focus of my life, then I'm going to let darkness into my life, evil. And then watch this. No man can serve two masters. For either you'll hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, He didn't say in this last verse, you got to choose between God and mammon. He said, you cannot serve both of them. Now, here's the progression. He's saying that if you if you live for this world, that's all you live for. And your treasures are in this world. What's going to happen is you're going to be filled with darkness. And that darkness is going to be so great that you're going to end up deceived into thinking somehow you can serve God and this world. And it cannot be done. It's going to be great darkness. So he's telling us, lay up our treasures. Now, the question comes up, Lord, if I take everything I have and invest it in heavenly things, who's going to take care of me? Isn't that what we think? Who's going to take care of me? 
So here's here's our text for the sermon. Verse 25. Therefore, see that therefore one preacher said, when you see a therefore, you need to look therefore and see what the therefore is there for. Don't ask me to say it again. Therefore, because of what I just said, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body. What you shall put on is not the life more than meat, the body more than raiment. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither they reap, nor gather into barns, that your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now I want to use these verses, verses 25 through 34, and I'm going to preach a moment on answers for the anxious or a word for the worriers. And let's pray a moment. Father, we love you because you first loved us. I pray you'll help us now in the next few moments. We're greatly in need of thy help. And Lord, we want you to be lifted up and glorified. And we want you to help our hearts tonight. And I pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, if there be one lost without God and without hope, they've never been saved, they've never repented, they've never trusted you, I pray tonight would be the night they'd believe on you and be saved. And we'll thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, when we come to this passage, Jesus is going to explain to us that the Lord's going to take care of us. If we will give, we'll take, and we will take care of the Lord's business, I believe he'll take care of our business. Amen. And that's what he's saying in this passage. So he says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought. Now let's stop. Because sometime you'll find somebody and they say, now preacher, here's this passage and it says God's going to take care of me and I'm not supposed to take any thought. So that means I don't have to work. That means I don't have to plan. That means I don't have to have any goals. That just means I just sit around and God will take care of me. No, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's saying. He's not encouraging slothfulness. He's not saying, I'll take care of what the Bible calls the sluggard, what we would call the lazy man. He's not saying that. But he's talking about getting first things first. He's talking about prioritizing our lives. Notice he will say, down here in this passage, he'll say, but seek ye first, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So he's not telling me not to plan. He's not telling me not to work a job. He's not telling me not to have uh, some kind of goals in my life. He's not telling me not even to prepare. He's not telling me not to prepare for tomorrow. He's just telling me there's something more important than that, and that is investing my life in the things of God and my treasures there. If you go back in the Sermon on the Mount, if you go back to chapter number, let's see, chapter number 5, the Bible will say this in verse number 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, Now watch this language. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer the gift. So he didn't say don't offer the gift. He said put first things first. 
get right with God or with your brother so you can be right with God and then bring the gift. And that's what he's telling us in this passage. We, he's not telling us, he is not telling us not to prepare. He's not telling us not to plan. He's not telling us not to work. He's just simply saying that there's more to life than that. As a matter of fact, he made that statement in verse number 25 of our text. Is not the life more than raiment, uh, or excuse me, more than meat and the body more than raiment. He said there's more involved in than what I eat and what I wear. And if I put God first, he'll take care of what I eat and take care of what I wear. I remember my, my old mentor, preacher mentor that's in heaven now, Brother Billy Kelly. I think 40-some years, maybe 46 years, something like that, he was an evangelist, traveled and preached. And he always would say this. He'd say, for the last 40 years, I've been living hand-to-mouth in evangelism. And you kind of look at me and say, God's hand to my mouth. He said, God's taken care of me. And he's taken care of you, hadn't he? He'd done pretty good by us, hadn't he? He's done real good. He's taken care of us. So I want us to think about this, and I want to talk to you a moment about uh, why we worry. You know, we're supposed to be warriors, but I'm afraid most of us are more warriors than warriors. We're worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. We're afraid we get we get uh, uh, the jitters over what's going to take place. Jesus is trying to help us with that. He's trying to help us get our thoughts right, get our hearts right. I remember years ago, my mother, now you'll never believe this since you've been around me and talked to me, and you know how nice and kind and, and intelligent and all that that I am. You'll probably never believe this. But when I was a boy, I was the troublemaker in the family. And I was the one, I was the one that always in trouble, always, always up to something, always mama always getting after me, and mama always worried about me. I know you don't believe that, but it, re- it really was true. And I remember my mother saying to me when I, when I got saved, and then I surrendered to the ministry, and I, I announced to the family that I was going out, uh, I was going out in evangelism, going to travel, and it scared my mother. Now she is a godly woman, but it scared her to death. And she never told me this when it started, but years later, before she went home to be with the Lord, she told me this. She said, Brian, when you told us you were going out in evangelism, it scared me. She said, you were always in trouble when you were a boy, and I thought about you out there on that highway. And she said, it just scared me. And she said, one day I was, I was in, my, in the laundry room, and I was doing the laundry, and she said, I was talking to the Lord. And she said, I was begging the Lord, Lord, take care of Brian out there on the highway. Watch over him. Lord, I'm scared for him. I'm fearful for him. And here's what she said. She said, the Lord said to me, Beverly. She stopped. That was her name. She said, he always calls me Beverly. (laughs) He said, the Lord said to me, Beverly, don't you know I'm going to take care of Brian out there on the road? And she never did worry again. You know, we get worried about things. We forget we have a Lord. We have a heavenly father. We have a savior that loves us. We get worried and we get worked up about things. So he wants to help us with this worry. Now, he's going to do three things. You can divide this passage. Really, it divides itself with this little thought. Take no thought. He'll say it again in verse 31. Take no thought. In verse 34, take therefore no thought. He's dividing this into three sections. And I want you to look at it with me. And we'll think about this business of worrying and this business of being fearful. I want you to notice, first of all, he will tell us that worry is for the faithless. Worry is a sign that we're not strong in faith like we ought to be. Because notice what he says at the end of this first section in verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So when I'm worrying, it's because my faith is little. Amen. Worry is for the faithless. 
Now, how do you build up your faith? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You build up your faith by staying in the Bible. Probably the reason we were is we watch too much television. We listen to too many, we listen to many news broadcasts. Amen. We spend more time with Rush Limbaugh than we do with Jesus. That's probably why we're worried. And I'm not against him. I'm just saying we ought to get our priorities right. So worry is for the faithless. Now, he's going to he's going to make us think about this. He's going to give us three illustrations why we ought to trust the Lord, why we ought to have faith in him, why we ought to believe he'll take care of us. The first thing you'll use is the fowls of the air. Watch what he said in verse 26. But behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? You know, I've been watching the birds on the way here. We pulled out of the hotel and turned on that road and that whole yard was full of birds down there feeding on the grass. Now, made me want to go fishing because when the birds are eating on the grass, usually the fish are biting out in the pond. But I came to church. I was spiritual. And so, plus I didn't have my, oh, I do have my fishing pole with me. I forgot. But anyway, so I turned and all those birds were there. And you know, the thought struck me this. Those birds, they didn't sow anywhere in that yard. They didn't go out there and drop any seed in, but they're eating out there. How come? Because God takes care of them. I haven't seen I haven't seen the birds suffering too much. Oh, I know every now and then we'll hear a broadcast or some news about this many birds dying and that, but I don't see any lack of them. I've been traveling around, and I you go out there on my van, and you can tell the birds been flying over it. They don't seem to be having any trouble. You say, preacher, who's taking care of the birds? Well, the birds are not taking care of themselves. God's taking care of the birds. You say, well, big deal. Well, listen to what he said. He said, uh, behold, the fowls of the air. And then he said this. He put this little tag on the end. Are you not much better than they? You know, you're more important to God than the birds are. That's what he just said. Here's what the Bible said about the sparrows. I love these verses. Matthew 10, 29. Jesus said, are not two sparrows. Now count them. Two. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, one farthing? Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Now think about that. What does that mean? One of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Well, one preacher said it means that God attends the funeral of every sparrow. God knows every sparrow that has fallen from the tree. And we're of more value than they are. But wait a minute. Here's what Matthew 10.31, this is a couple of verses later. He said, fear you not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. But wait a minute. Luke chapter 12. Now listen to this verse. A minute ago, remember, we had two sparrows for how many farthings? All right. Now listen to Luke 12.6. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Now we got a math problem here. Because it was two sparrows for one farthing. Shouldn't it be four sparrows for two farthings? But it's not. It's five. Did you ever go buy something you and you dickered with somebody? I mean, you 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 we call it dickering with them. We tried to get Jew them down. All, all the language that we use, you know, we tried to get a better deal. And so finally the fellow said, well, I'll tell you what, if you'll buy this, I'll throw this in. That ever happened to you? You know what that fifth sparrow is? He just throw it in. He's thrown in on the deal. He's not worth anything. He's just thrown in. Now, let me ask you a question. You ever feel like you're the one that just got thrown in? You ever feel like you're the one that's not worth anything? You get around and you say, well, there's this one. Boy, God could really use him. And there's this one. And look at what she can do. And there's it. And then you look at yourself and said, you know, I'm like that fifth sparrow. I'm just not worth a whole lot. But you know what Jesus is saying? Even the fifth sparrow 
is important to God. You say, well, I'm not like so-and-so. Luke 12, 7, he went on and said, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear you not, therefore you have more value than many sparrows. You might feel sometime like you're that extra sparrow, that fifth wheel, that one thrown in that wasn't worth a whole lot, just thrown in because they didn't know what else to do. But God knows about you too, and God cares about you too. The old songwriter said, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he cares for me. And so we have the fowls of the air. God's going to take care of the birds. He's going to take care of his children. Then he'll use another illustration. He'll use the frailty of life. Watch what he said in verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Now, a cubit was a measurement in the Bible. There's some discussion about how long it was. Usually it went from here, the end of the finger, to the elbow was a cubit. So it kind of depended on how tall you were and how long your arms were, how much a cubit was. Uh, but but he says this. He said, if you could sit down and worry about it, are you going to make yourself any taller? If you worry about how short you are and worry enough, will you get taller? No, you're not going to get any taller. You're not going to get any slimmer if you worry about it. You have to do something else besides worry. Amen. I cannot worry my hair to grow back. The truth of the matter is, I'm not worried about it. I haven't had to comb it in about 40 years, and I'm glad about that. But I can't worry it. You say, well, I'll tell you, preacher, I'm, I'm really worried about this. Well, is worrying about it going to change it? It's not going to make you any taller. Now, he may be talking about, when he talks about stature, he may be talking about our height. But I remember the Old Testament where where Job talked about how our life is like the span of a hand. So he might even be saying you can't worry a long, worry in a longer life. You can't worry it in. So what's he saying? He's saying trust God with it. Trust God with the way he made you. And what he's using you for. And what he's doing in your life. Just trust him. He's trustworthy. So he uses the fowls of the air. He used the frailty of life. Then he used the flowers of the field. Watch what he said in verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They toil not. Neither they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now let me think to you. <laughs> well let me read on. Wherefore if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven shall he not much more clothe you O ye of little faith. Now you look like you're doing pretty good on your clothing tonight. Look like you're dressed up pretty good. God takes care of me. I buy most of my suits. I, I buy them two places. I buy them in the thrift store. And I buy them from a fellow named Clarence. I don't know who Clarence is, but he has little sections in stores all over the place. I have a banner up. It'll say Clarence. Amen. And I'll buy my suits. That's where I get most of them. But you know what? I, I had a fella. I had a fella buy me a suit not too long ago. Had a fella. In fact, a fella walked up to me and he said, preacher, I'd like to buy you a suit. I said, really? He said, yeah. And then he said this to me. He said, do you want to pick it out or do you want me to? So I looked at him. He's wearing a bright yellow jacket and bright green pants. And I said, I think I'll pick it out. And he bought me a suit. Then he bought me another suit. I had a, I had a, I don't, somebody bought me a suit in Michigan. Somebody bought me a $600 suit. I've never had a $600 suit. I buy them in the thrift store for $6. But I, but you say, what? I'm saying, just saying, people take care of you through the Lord. The Lord will say, now take care of that guy. 
the Lord said, now help that fellow. Haven't you ever, when you had a need, somebody came by and helped you, you said, what was it? That's the Lord watching out for you. He'll make sure you have what you, you know what it says about, it says about Solomon here. It said the lily, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And let me read you this verse. I wrote it down from 1 Kings 10.23. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. Solomon had more riches than any king in the earth. And yet God said, I clothe the lily better than Solomon could clothe himself. And he said that lily, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the fire. I make sure it has what it needs. And he said this. He said, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? God takes care of us, doesn't he? Can I, would you mind if I tell you a funny story about a suit? These folks said, uh, the preacher came, he said, Brother McBride, somebody in the church wants to buy you a suit. I said, okay. I'd be glad for that. I'd appreciate it. So I thought we'd go down to Penny's or Sears, but they took me to a tailor shop. And I went in. This fellow walked up. He said, "All right, Mr. McBride, I'm gonna I'm gonna get your suit." He said, "Stand up here on this thing. Let me measure." So he measured my neck. He said, "You're 17 and a half." I said, "No, sir. I wear an 18." He said, "Now I do this for a living. You're 17 and a half." I said, "Okay." He said, "Put your arm out." I put my arm out. He said, "You're a 35." I said, "No, sir. I wear a 36, 37." He said. Now, I do this for a living. You're a 35. I said, okay. He put the jacket on and he said, you know, it needs to be tapered in a little bit. And I thought, I, I, I thought it was pretty good where it was. I was comfortable. And I was like, he said, no, I do this for a living. So he tapered it in. Then he said, now, is there anything they want me to do what you want to do? Is there anything else you'd like to have that you haven't had? I said, well, I've never had a French cuff. So I wouldn't mind having a, a French cuff because I got a nice pair of uh, of uh, cufflinks that a fellow bought in the Goodwill and gave to me. And uh, and uh, so he said, okay, well, so I got my suit. You couldn't see the cufflinks because the sleeve was too short. And I wore the suit for about two weeks and I gained 10 pounds and I couldn't wear it anymore. So I hung it in the hung it in the closet. So. Three, was it three years later? Three years later. I'm at the same church and the preacher said, Brother McBride, somebody wants to buy you a suit. I said, okay. I said, now preacher, I don't want to sound like I'm not thankful. I said, but I just soon not go back to the other place. He said, why not? So I told him what happened. He said, I'll take care of that. So I walked in that same store. That fellow walked up to me and he said, now Mr. McBride, you tell me what you want and I'll do it. And he did exactly what I wanted. And then he said, you still have that other suit? I said, it's been hanging in the closet three years. He said, send it to me. And you know what he did? He fixed it. And now it fits perfect. So what he said, I'm just saying, Lord, take care of you. He'll take care of you. Let me tell, I, I should go on, but let me just, let me just, let me just, let me just park here a minute. I was, when Rachel was born, um, I was pastoring a church and she was born at 126 in the afternoon on a Sunday. I missed the morning service and the evening service. And it was quite a little ways. Quite a little ways from the, where we lived to the hospital. And the first night of the first day she was born, she was born with an infection, a staph infection. And she turned blue and she quit breathing. And when I got in there, she was in this little cubicle thing, this little, I don't know what you call it, glass thing with tubes everywhere and wires everywhere. And they were doing brain scans. I often tell her we never have got back the results of those brain scans, but, uh, but, Anyway, I, I was praying, you know, and praying that God would help her, and God did. He raised her up. So I went home. So the next day, I'm driving back up there, and I'm driving my little, at that time, I was driving a little red Volkswagen Rabbit. 
And I was driving along and I was headed up, headed up, uh, what's the name of that road, Mom? I think it's 40, State Road 40, headed up between, uh, Paw Paw, Michigan and up between Allegan, Michigan. I was headed for Grand Rapids if you've ever been around that area. So I'm going up that back road and all of a sudden my car just quit. It just quit. And so I coasted off the side of the road. And I sat there in that car, and I'll be honest with you, I was having disparaging thoughts about German engineering. And then I looked at the fuel gauge. And I found it wasn't the Germans, it was the Irish that were the problem. I forgot to put any gas in there. So I'm standing outside the car, I'm praying a little bit and complaining a little bit. You know how you ever do that? And I'm leaning on the car, and all of a sudden this Cadillac, I think it was a Cadillac, it might have been a Lincoln, it was fancy. It pulled up, and it stopped. And I could just see barely through those tinted windows, and I saw this fella go like this. And the window went down. And that impressed me, because all of my windows went down like this. And he looked over at me, and he said, you got trouble? I said, yes, sir, I'm out of gas. He said, hop in. So I hopped in. We started up the road. He said, now, I, I don't know my way around here. I've never been on this road before. Do you know do you know where a gas station is? I said, yes, sir, up here in Allegan. It's about 10 miles up here. There's a gas there's several gas stations. He said, okay. So we're riding along. So I'm I'm sitting beside him, you know, in the front seat, and he's driving, and I'm just sitting there, and we're not talking. And, and, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I need to witness this man. I need to talk about the Lord. And then I'm thinking, if he gets mad, I'm going to be walking. So... I thought, I'll ease into this. So I looked over at him and I said, um, you go to church? He said, I do. I said, you do? He said, yes. So then I felt a little bolder. I said, uh, are you born again? Are you a believer? You've been saved? Oh, yes. He said, I'm born again believer. Been saved. And uh, I said, well, that's wonderful. So we got talking. I said, what are you doing on this road? He said, well, I have some businesses in Upper Michigan. I live in Indiana. I always come up 94, I-94 and get on US-131. But he said, today I was praying. And I got to the exit for this 40. He said, I've never been on this road. I don't even know where it goes. But I was praying. And God said, get off right here. So he said, I got off the exit. He said, I didn't know why. And I started up this road. I knew why. Because the preacher man had let his car run out of gas. And so he took me to the gas station. He bought me a gas can because I didn't have one. He filled it with gas. He drove me back down to where my car was. I put the gas in the car. I tried to give him back the gas can. He said, you keep it. You look like the type might need it again. I said, okay, I'll keep it. And then I had told him about Rachel. And here's what he said. He said, he got his wallet out and got a piece of money and gave me a piece of money. And he said, now you buy that little girl something for me. Now you say, preacher, what is that? That's God taking care of his people. I could tell you story after story after story. And you know what? If we take the time, you could tell me story after story after story how God takes care of us. He'll take care of us. He takes care of the birds. He'll take care of us. So what's our problem? Our problem is we have little faith. That's why we worry. We all look back and remember what God's already done for us and what he's done for us along the way, the times that he has taken care of us, along the way that he's ministered to us, that he's helped us. God has taken care of us. We heard an example of that tonight. So I'm just saying to you, worry is for the faithless. What are you worrying about? God's been good to you, hasn't he? So worry is for the faithless. Then he'll say this. Watch this now. He'll say in verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, when he talks about the Gentiles, he's using that reference to somebody who doesn't believe God. 
He sought somebody outside the household of faith. So we would use the word the lost. He's talking about somebody lost without God who's never been saved. And he said, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now watch this. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So first of all, worries for the faithless. Now he tells us, worries for the fatherless. When you're worrying, you're acting like you don't have no daddy. You're acting like you've never been born again. You're acting like you're not a child of God when we don't worry. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, this this really is a revolutionary idea because unless I've mistaken it, and I don't think I have, but I don't find in the Old Testament where the Jews ever referred to God as Father. I know there's some verses where he where he himself, through the psalmist, said that he'd be a father to the fatherless. I know that. But when they prayed, they didn't say our Father. But Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and I think in the Gospels, I think I counted up one time 223 times he refers to God as the Father. 17 of those times are in the Sermon on the Mount, and 12 of those times are in Matthew chapter 6. He's been talking about the Father, the Father, the Father, praying to the Father. Thy Father which is in secret, thy Father which seeth in secret, uh, your heavenly Father. Over and over again, he talks about the Father. And so here's what he said. He said, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. And here's what he told us about our Father. He knows. He knows. You say, well, he doesn't know. Oh, he knows. He said, well, I prayed and he didn't answer. You know, I was studying on that that woman I mentioned the other night, that Canaanite woman, that Syrophoenician woman. The Bible said she cried, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Remember what the scripture said? He answered her not a word. But you know what it didn't say? It didn't say that he heard not a word. You say, oh, preacher, I prayed and I didn't get an answer. That doesn't mean he didn't hear. He did hear. He hears our prayers and he answers them according to his will. We have a father. He's much wiser than we are. You know, there's some things I prayed for. I'm glad he didn't give me what I asked for. And there's some things I got a hold of I didn't pray for that I wished I had prayed about. And I'd had a lot less trouble because God would have given me what was good for me. Worry is for the fatherless. Let me say we have a father who knows and we have a father who cares. He cares about us. Do you remember, you remember one of my favorite verses in the book of Exodus is when Moses is at the burning bush and the Lord is speaking to him out of the burning bush. He said, Moses, remember the bush was on fire. There was a fire in the midst of the bush and the Bible said, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not consumed. And when he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, loose thy shoes from off thy feet for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then he said this, and the Bible said Moses was afraid to look upon God. But here's what he said. He said, God said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them. Now think about that. He said, I've seen. I've seen. We talked about that yesterday. He watches over us. He sees us. But not only has he seen, he's heard. But not only has he heard, he knows. You know, it's wonderful when you're going through trouble, if somebody will just see. If they just slip up by and slip your arm around and say, man, I know you're having trouble. Been praying for you. If they just see, that's a blessing. Isn't it? But you know what's even better than that? If they'll take the time to listen to you. I had a fellow come to me one time. I was pastoring. He's getting ready to get married. And he's getting cold feet. Getting nervous about it. 
And he had some questions. So he came to my living room. He sat in one chair and I sat in the other chair and he started talking. And there was this and that and the other thing. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to him and he'd be talking and I went, mm, 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 mm. And he talked on and I went, what about that? And he talked on and I said, my, oh my, oh my. And he kept talking and I went, mm, 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 mm. And he kept talking and I said, what about that? And he kept talking and I said, my, oh my, oh my. And he kept talking and I said, mm, 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 mm. Three hours that went on. He talked and I'd say, mm, 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 mm. And then I'd say, what about that? And then I'd say, my, oh my. And after about three hours of that, he looked at me and said, thank you, pastor. You've helped me so much. You always give me such good advice. All I said was, mm, 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 mm. What about that? My, you know what? He just needed somebody who'd hear. I'm glad God, I'm glad God's a hearing God. Hey friend, I promise you one thing. You come pour your heart out to God. He said this, David said, a broken heart and a contrite spirit thou wilt not despise, O Lord. And if you come broken hearted and call out to God, cry out to God, I guarantee you God will hear you. So it's good to have, be seen, it's good to be heard, but then it's good to have somebody who knows. I'm glad he knows. Did you ever talk to somebody about a trouble and, and they, they were sympathetic and they wanted help, but you knew they did not understand. But it never be that way with God. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities and then he can do something about it. I'm just telling you, we have a father. Do you have a heavenly father? We have a father. And you notice what the Bible said about that father. If you go about chapter seven and start in verse seven, look what it says about that father. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? You know, daddy's in this auditorium tonight. In this auditorium tonight, a daddy. You got a daughter. You got a son. You know they have a need. You want to do all you can to help them meet that need. I know sometimes we want them to spread their own wings and we want them to learn to work things out. I know that. But the best we can for their good, we're going to try and meet their need. And God said we do that being evil. And God has no evil in him. He's absolutely holy and good. There is no taint in him. There is no sin in him. And he said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things unto them that ask him? He'll take care of us, won't he? The reason we worry is because we're acting like we're fatherless, like we're orphans. And we're not. We're not. There's a... There's a family, young family. I know they, they weren't able to have children, so they adopted a little girl from a, a Romanian. Was it Romania? Bulgaria. From a Bulgaria. It's a good thing Mama came because I couldn't preach without her. They're, they adopted a little girl from a Bulgar, Bulgarian orphanage. And so that little girl, um, the first time they fed her at the house, they put the food on the table, and she went like this. Because she, she'd always had to fight everybody off to get the food, to get her own food. The first time they put her in bed at night, she put her hands up over her head. Because in the orphanage, they'd tie them to the bed at night so they wouldn't wander. So you know what she had to learn? She had to learn that life wasn't going to be like it used to be. She had to learn that somebody cared enough about her, they weren't going to tie her to the bed, they were going to keep an eye on her. She had learned that somebody cared enough about her that she wasn't going to have to fight people off to get the food. She, she had to learn that. You know what our problem is? 
Somehow we haven't learned. We still think we've got to fight and struggle and argue and fuss and manipulate and calculate. We still think that when the truth of the matter is we have a heavenly father who will take care of us. And so when we're worrying, we're acting like we don't have a daddy. But we do have a daddy. (laughs) We have a heavenly father. Amen. Now, he talks to us. He said, worry is for the faithless and worry is for the fatherless. And then I'm going to use this word. And you're probably not familiar with it, but I like it for two reasons. I like it because it's an old Gaelic, uh, Gaelic uh, word. And that's my, that's my heritage. And it fits my outline. That's the second reason I like it. And that is worry is for the feckless. He said, preacher, what's that word mean? Well, I looked it up. Here's what it means. It means be irresponsible. Irresponsible. Anybody ever told you he's irresponsible? Well, he said this. Now watch what he said. Verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Why? For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, let me just, let me just put it to you this way. What he's saying, I believe in verse 34 is, he's saying that it's irresponsible to waste away my today worrying about what might happen tomorrow. And that's what we do, isn't it? We can't enjoy the good things God's doing for us today because we're afraid of what's going to come down the pike. We're afraid of what's around the bend. And so we spend our time worrying about all of these things when we don't know if they're ever even going to happen. You see, the Bible said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. First of all, you don't even know if there's going to be a tomorrow. So why would I waste my time today worrying about tomorrow when the truth of the matter is this might be my last day? You say, well, preacher, that's a sad thought. Is it really? I'd be in heaven. Is that a sad thought to you? If I leave this world, I'm going to be home with Jesus. If this were my last day, that wouldn't be a bad thing. That'd be a wonderful thing. I know I know people left behind me that may sorrow, but I wouldn't be any sorrow because Paul said be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I, I, Brother A.T. Humphreys used to, he was a singer, and he'd travel all around the country, and he'd hold singing schools. You, you might have heard the term shape note, and he'd teach people how to do shape note singing in the services. And I used to go, and I would get with him in a service up in Michigan, a big camp meeting. He was, he was very direct when he talked. One time I had a bad cold, and I was trying to sing, and afterwards, he pulled me aside. He said, Brother McBride, let me tell you a secret. I said, what's that? He said, if it hurts you to sing it, it hurts them to hear it. I never have forgotten that. But he loved the Lord. And he's, a, he's a wonderful singer. He just he just real plain speaking. But you know what he did? He was he was standing in a pulpit singing, and he was singing, I sing because there is an empty grave. I sing because there is a power to save. That's what he was singing. And he sang that song, and he took a step out of the pulpit and went home to be with Jesus right there on the platform, died right there. You say, preacher, how sad. Well, it's surely it's sad for those of us that loved him, but it wasn't sad for him. Man, he's in the presence of Jesus. He went on to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So I'm saying to you, we don't know if there's a tomorrow, so why would we spend today worrying when tomorrow might not even come anyway? You have no promise of tomorrow. You have no preview of tomorrow. You can't change tomorrow by, by worrying about it. Why don't we just live today in the light of the love of God and let him take care of tomorrow? Let me tell you what happened to me one time. I was preaching in Mississippi. And uh I was staying at a girl's home there and I had my motor home and and back then uh 
I, I traveled in a big motor home and if, if you've ever had a big motor home, a coach, a diesel coach, what you do when you're not traveling is, is you work on it. So it'll run the next time you want to travel in it. So I had preached at a church on Sunday, a large church, and the man that pastors the church is a wonderful man of God. He loves the Lord, and I mean, he just, he's, he's just a, a wonderful man, but his personality is completely different from mine. He's very staid and dignified, and he doesn't joke much, and, and he just, he's just different from me. And I'll tell you the honest truth, he intimidates me a little bit. And so I went there and I preached all day, and then I came back to the motorhome and I was under the motorhome working and I came out and I went in the motorhome and I had a phone and I, I saw there was a message on my phone. So I got the phone and I, and I hit the buttons, you know, and all that stuff. And I went to the messages and, and I, I listened to the recorded message and here's, here's what it was. I'll try and say it kind of like it sounds. It went like this. Brother McBride, would you please call me? There is something I need to discuss with you. And it was that preacher. Now, let me ask you a question. If somebody left you a note on your answer machine and said, there is, in a very serious sounding voice, there is something I need to discuss with you, what would you have thought? Here's what I thought. I'm in trouble. I thought I said something wrong. I sang a song I wasn't supposed to sing. I, I said something when I was preaching he didn't agree with. I thought about we went out to eat. We went to a catfish place for lunch, and I thought we had that conversation. And so I'm running that conversation through my mind. Did I say something I shouldn't have said? I, I'm thinking I try to run my sermon over. I try to think about how I acted at the church, and I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm making a list. You know, I probably did this wrong, or I probably shouldn't have said this. I, I, I got a list, and I and I tell you what I did. I ruined my day. I spe- you say, did you call him? No. I was afraid to call him. I just worried about it. All day long. Oh, what did I say? What did I do? I, I went over every song. Did we sing a song we shouldn't have sung? Were all our songs scriptural? We tried to have scriptural songs. Maybe they don't like this instrument. I, you know, I'm just all over this. Well, finally, you know, I had to call him. So the next day I called him. I got to, I got his secretary. She buzzed me into his office. He answered the phone. He said, hello, Brother McBride. I said, hello. He said, uh, Brother McBride, we greatly enjoyed having you at our church. And I wanted to discuss with you about when we could get you to come back. <laughs> you know what I did? I ruined a whole day worrying about something that didn't happen anyway. I wonder how often we've done that. We've lost our joy. We've lost our song because of what might happen. Here's what he said. He said, tomorrow will take thought for itself. God will work it out. Let's just trust him. One writer put it this way, and I wrote it down. Adam Clark is his name. He said, how much good is omitted? How many evils are caused? How many duties are neglected? How many innocent persons are deserted? How many good works are destroyed? How many truths are suppressed? And how many acts of injustice are authorized by the timorous forecasts of what may happen and those faithless apprehensions concerning the future? Let us do now what God requires of us and trust the consequences to him. And that's the truth. You say, preacher, what if I, you know, if I do this, if God says, this is what I need to do, and I do this, what will happen? I don't know what will happen, but I know this, if you obey the Lord, 
God will take care of you. He'll take care of you. We are tonight living proof that God will take care of us. Brother Kelly used to say this. He he had this habit. He'd lean over the pulpit and he'd say, Come here a minute. Come here a minute. While he's preaching, Come here a minute. He'd say, Hey, what's wrong with what God's been doing for you? And the truth is there's nothing wrong with what God's been doing for us. He'd been good to us, hadn't he? He blessed us exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I was a, I was a little boy uh, down in the bedroom at uh, at uh, on 14th Street, just outside of Wayland, Michigan, on that little dirt road uh, down in that bedroom, and uh, learning to play rock and roll music with the radio so loud that they could, I couldn't hear the phone ring in the next room. I couldn't hear my dad talking to me when he come down the bottom of the stairs, and I was down there. And uh, trying to learn to be a rock and roll star and dreaming about uh, getting on a stage and playing rock and roll music. And uh, some of you, I won't mention all the groups, but all that, that's where I was. But I never dreamed that one day God would save me and sanctify my dream. And now I do, in a sense, what I dreamed about doing every night. But I don't do it for the crowd and I don't do it for the money. I do it for the glory of God. And I don't have all the headaches and the heartaches and the hangovers that come over. And I've been places and I've seen things and I've done things and I've experienced things that I never would have experienced if it hadn't been for God at work in my life. I'm just saying to you, God will take care of you. If you don't believe it, take my word for it. God will take care of you. Just trust Him. Just believe Him. Just obey Him. God will take care of you. And no reason to worry tonight. Now, let me stop and say this. If you don't know God, you got a reason to be afraid. If you've never been saved, you ought to be worried. Because the Bible said the rich man, not because he was rich, but because he was unsaved, the rich man died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And so if you're not saved, you ought to be afraid. You you need to worry. You need to be apprehensive because you have no promise of tomorrow. And this might be your last day. And this moment might be your last moment. And that breath you just took might be your last breath. So if you're not saved, you need to be worried. You need to be anxious. You need to be careful. If you're not saved, but tell you what you could do tonight. You could get saved. You could trust the Lord. Jesus died on the cross for your sin and saved you so that you could become a child of God. The Bible said in John 1, He came unto His own, His own received Him not, but to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. And John said, uh, Behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And then he said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You could get saved become a child of God tonight. Then you wouldn't have to worry. Then you wouldn't have to worry. You could live in confidence. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. My wife's going to come to the piano. And here's what I want to do. She's going to play in a moment. I'm going to talk to you that are saved. You know you're saved. There's been something just weighing you down. It's got you worried. It's got you apprehensive. You might as well just go ahead and admit it. And why don't you come get on your knees and say, Lord, will you forgive me for my fear? Will you forgive me for my worry? Will you forgive me for my anxious care? And Lord, will you help me to trust you? Won't you come get on your knees and say, Lord, you've been awful good to me. And I want to stop all this worry and I just want to trust you. You've never let me down. 
you come and thank him on your knees tonight. Lord, you've been good to me. And just tell him, Lord, you help me. I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to be anxious. I just want to trust you. Will you help me trust you, Lord? Just come and thank him and praise him a little bit. And trust him. But maybe you're here tonight and you're unsaved. You could not say to me, preacher, if I died, I'd know I'd go to heaven. If I died, I know my sins are forgiven. But you'd like to be saved. You'd like to know your sins are forgiven. You'd like to know heaven is your home. And you'd say to me, you wouldn't, you don't have to say anything to me, but you just lift your hand. Nobody's looking at me. You'd be saying to me by lifting your hand, preacher, I'm not saved. I don't know my sins are forgiven. I don't know heaven's a home, but I'm interested in that. Would you pray for me? I'd like to pray for you. Right now, if you just slip your hand up, I'll see it. I won't come to you. I won't call your name. I won't point you out, but I will pray for you. You just slip your hand up and say, pray for me, preacher. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven, but I sure like to. Please pray for me. Anybody like that tonight? Just lift your hand. Let me see. Is there anybody? All right, now, Father, you help us. Help us that are saved to trust you, to not live worried and anxious. And help them, Lord, that might be here lost and undone without God and without hope. I pray, Lord, they will be worried. I pray they will be anxious. I pray you take away their sleep at night. I pray you'd hem up all their relationships, put a thorn, a hedge of thorns about them. And I pray everywhere they move, Lord, they'll get pricked by the conviction of the gospel that Jesus died in their place on the cross of Calvary so that they could be saved. I pray they'd never forget it, never get over it. You'd lead them and draw them unto repentance. Help them now. Help us, Lord, in this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray.